Pigs, dogs, or sheep? Who's to blame in Animal Farm? Uh, some thoughts on psychopaths and their youth, useful idiot NPC enablers. I was recently rereading Animal Farm by George Orwell. Uh, unfortunately, Animal Farm uh, is a useful guide to understanding our times. I saw a meme, you know, recently, and the, the saying going around social media that uh, 1984 was meant as a warning, not a guidebook, which apparently uh, our, you know, beneficent overlords at the World Economic Forum Klaus Schwab and his goons uh, didn't get that memo. Neither did the Brandon administration. Apparently they think 1984 is a guidebook for how to govern, um, how to assault reason and common sense and, you know, anyway. Uh, but Animal Farm is another one like 1984, George Orwell's books, that is very relevant today. And so anyway, I was rereading that. And uh, I was struck by the question, whom do you blame for the corruption and tyranny among the farm's ruling class. The pigs, the dogs, or the sheep? Uh, well, it seems obvious to, to blame the pigs, because they're the ones actually in charge. Uh, they're the ones who kind of design the system, you know, who organize the oppression of the other animals, who, you know, unilaterally benefit from all the corruption going on. So are they the ones to blame? Do you blame the pigs? You know, after the revolution gave uh, the animals control of the farm, the pigs make many promises about what they intend to do to make the farm work better for everybody. And maybe they believe it. At least in the early stages of the story. Animal Farm, if you remember the book, um, begins with Old Major, an elderly hog, he gives this rousing speech, you know, about his dream that he had about a future where animals would be free from humanity and that they would get to keep the fruits of their own labor instead of having to give it all to man, a creature who doesn't produce anything. He's, you know, an allegory for, I guess, communism, right? Like, the, that's, the, that's the sales pitch for it. Well, you got these capitalists, they just own everything, they don't produce anything. And there's a certain, on an emotional level, a certain power that that imagery has because you know especially if you go back to the early 1900s late 1800s the gilded age all that you know upton sinclair's book the jungle you know back in those days i mean there's uh you know if you died in a factory because there were unsafe working conditions or you got severely injured you know so that you couldn't work anymore well, you were just kind of shit out of luck. Like, there was no workers' comp. There was no, um, you know, disability insurance. None of that. Like, the, the factory owners would just basically wash their hands of you and let, let your family deal with the fallout of your injury or death, right? So, obviously, it wasn't like there was just nothing going on and the communists just came out of nowhere and said, hey, you know, workers of the world, unite. I mean, there was some real abuses well, we see that today, right? The crony capitalism um, going on today where, you know, you got essential businesses just happen to be the ones that are able to afford the big money lobbyists, you know, just happen to be the big corporations and financial firms that are able to, you know, have perfect ESG scores and hire ex-public officials to give speeches for six figures a pop, things like that, right? 
Your mom and pop stores can't do that. They're not essential when there's a pandemic. Mom and pop stores, you must shut your doors down. You know, you must close your businesses, go home and just starve, right? Um, but big corporations will by all means stay open because you're essential, right? Now, what's that from? I mean, obviously that's government corruption, but there's also like there's this oligarchic class of rich people that just... It's, it really is kind of us and them, you know, like they're not on our side. So I, you know, when I read some of the abuses that of the system that, you know, the Rockefellers and, you know, JP Morgans and such were doing back in the day, it's easy to believe because just replace them with Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, Jeff Bezos. It's like, it's the same shit, you know, same shit, different era, but basically the same type of thing. You got... I mean, there's a reason why Jesus, if you take the things that Jesus says seriously, has a lot to say about greed and you can't serve God and mammon, a.k.a. the money God, you know, you can only choose one master to serve. You're going to hate the one and love the other or love the one and despise the other, but you can't serve them both. You can't have two gods with conflicting values, right? So anyway, back to what I was saying, the pigs, right? They preach this message about the powers that be, the the ruling class. They're like, they're evil. They're just taken from us. We're going to be the good guys. We're on your side, right? So you see there's a certain element of truth in that. So that gives it some power, some credibility, some persuasiveness. The question is how sincere are the pigs in what they're saying, you know? It seems like they kind of... Of course, if you're familiar with the story, spoiler alert, if you haven't read Animal Farm, it's your own damn fault because it's a short book, it's easy to read, it's a fun read, and you should have read it by now. So anyway, um, if this spoils the ending for you, it's your own damn fault. Um, but yeah, the pigs turn out to be just as bad, if not worse, than the human they replace, you know? They basically, by the end of the story, you know, the animals are looking in the farmhouse windows after the pigs have violated every rule that was set in place to kind of ensure that the new system would not be corrupted like the old system was. The pigs have violated all those rules. They've changed, you know, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others, right? So they're looking in the farmhouse window at the end and they see the pigs meeting with the with the humans and they can't tell the difference. It's like they look from the pigs to the humans and the humans to the pigs and it's like they all look the same, right? Well, that tends to happen. I mean, it happened in the Soviet Union with uh, Stalin, whom Napoleon the pig in Animal Farm is modeled after. Seems to be happening among a lot of our self-proclaimed progressive class in the United States, claiming to be all about helping the little guy, the working class. But you notice, they kind of, uh, it's a very cliquish set, you know? They graduate from the right schools, a.k.a. the elite, if not Ivy League, then, you know, something similar, an elite liberal arts college or something like that, right? They don't do really any useful work. They've never, like, gotten their hands dirty, you know, working in construction or any of that. Now, they, um, you know, they their, their livelihood is just the political system, you know? Never had a real job. So they're kind of like this, this insulated class that's set apart from the common herd as they view those of us in flyover country, you know, who may rule over, right? And it's kind of, when you read about their corruption, I mean, an example of this, like Black Lives Matter, right? We're, we're fighting for the rights of these 
you know, the black underclass, the poor and marginalized black people who the police are just murdering and just declared open season on. And of course you realize that that narrative was mostly a lie. And, uh, they cherry picked a few bad or, you know, a few egregious examples of police misconduct kind of mixed it in with other cases that were a little less clear where they just smeared the police officer and, you know, put out misinformation about what happened, selectively edited video and so forth. Um, and then you find out, well, it seems like it was a big grift because the people who founded the organization wind up going from their nonprofit activism to becoming multimillionaire real estate tycoons in just a few years, right? It's like, wow, in that, there's a lot of money to be made in nonprofit activism and community organizing. So anyway, back to what I was saying. You got the pigs. They're kind of that ilk. And... You got them making these promises. It seemed like they actually believe it. Like Old Major, you know, gives this. And maybe Old Major does. He dies before the revolution happens. But he's telling them about this vision that he has for the utopian future where the, all the animals are going to be equal. They're going to, you know, keep the fruits of their own labor and live a better life. And he dies before the revolution happens. So it falls to the other pigs to interpret his dream and make it real. And so then there's these two leading pigs after Old Major dies. There's Napoleon, who's modeled after Stalin, and Snowball, modeled after Trotsky. So Napoleon, he's he's kind of a bad guy from the get-go. You know, it's pretty obvious early on, even before the revolution happens, that he's not on the up and up, that he's kind of a self-interested, dishonest demagogue. Um, anyway, he's the one... At, on the first morning after the revolution, for example, he steals all the milk for the pig's own use while nobody's looking. Um, he's conspicuously absent from the animal's second battle. So you have the first battle where they it just kind of spontaneously happens. They kick the humans out. Then the humans come back to try to retake the farm. And Snowball is the one that really leads the, the, the defensive you know, fight for the animals. He's the one at the front. He's the one that charges straight into um, the farmer um, and gets shot. Not a bad. It's just a, just but a scratch, you know. It's, it's just a flesh wound. So he's he's all right, but he's he's the only one who gets their equivalent of a purple heart. You know, he gets uh, the animal hero first class. I think um, this award after the him and the the horse boxer. But Napoleon is nowhere to be seen in that fight but later on he engages in stolen valor taking credit for bravery and hero heroism in that fight later on he of course uh has snowball chased away by the his attack dogs you know and once snowball's been exiled everything gets blamed on snowball and snowball's the history of the revolution and the history of that battle get rewritten to make napoleon seem like he was this great hero which he wasn't right he's just a piece of shit um so you got Napoleon. He's easy to hate. Snowball's a little tricky. It's a little less clear how much of a villain he is. He seems idealistic. He seems like he really believes some of this stuff. And he articulates these kind of simple, straightforward rules that if they had been followed, would have prevented the corrupt and tyrannical rule of Napoleon. So Snowball is the one, if you recall, um, he's the one that um, painted the, the rules, you know, including the infamous... All animals are equal, which was later amended after uh, Snowball was exiled by Napoleon's henchmen to read, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. So anyway, 
Um, but there's moments where you see Snowball kind of agreeing with Napoleon. Like, Napo- like there's this, um, Napoleon has this uh, desire to, you know, uh, what's the word? Appropriate all the, um, you know, the, the milk, the windfall apples, things like that for the exclusive use of the pigs. So that's kind of going against their professed egalitarian value system. All animals are equal, but only the pigs get these extra treats, right? So, but Snowball goes along with it. So there you go. You know, he's like, he's kind of making his own bed. So when it, and now he must lie on it when Napoleon turns on him. It's like he kind of partners with Napoleon when it suits his own self-interest. And then when Napoleon turns on him, it's kind of like, well, you know, that's what happens. Or you, you know, partner with sociopaths. I mean, they turn on you at some point. You, you know, you kind of got to take responsibility for that. So anyway, and then you got this other pig squealer. He's like the chief uh, propagandist for the pigs. So maybe you could call him a community organizer. And he's the one that, you know, he'll, the, the pigs will, or particularly Napoleon, will announce something that goes against the interests of all the other animals. The other animals are kind of grumbling about it. Like, hey, how come, for example, they were early on after the revolution, they would debate. And then um, really the pigs would be the ones debating. But all the animals would vote on whatever, you know, measures the pigs proposed. Well, after Napoleon gets rid of snowball he kind of unilaterally does away with that like he says the pigs will just kind of announce at their meetings what's going to happen the other animals won't vote on it anymore and so squealer's the one who goes around to the other animals and kind of explains soothes things over you know makes them see well it's really not that bad and so he tries to you know basically uses you know just propaganda and charm and charisma and hand waving or in his case tail twirling you know, he uses his rhetorical gifts to support Napoleon's demagoguery. Is he to blame? You know, are, are the pigs? The pigs are the ones running the show. They're the ones lying to the other animals. They're the ones, you know, in control of the machinery of government. Are they the ones to blame for what's happened at Animal Farm? Maybe. You know. Um, but the other animals, they kind of go along with it too, right? I mean, when Squealer... He's the one that's their kind of deputy propagandist. You know, when he, he comes around to tell them things um, to kind of explain why Napoleon did what he did, they kind of get a sense, I don't know, something doesn't sit right with me on this. It seems like every, you give them an inch, they take a mile. It seems like we're always being urged to make these compromises with the pigs and it's always one-sided. It favors the pigs at our expense. The pigs don't keep their promises, but they keep, trusting what squealer tells him right because he's kind of like your bill clinton type the guy who can you know give you this sheepish boy just got caught with his hand in the cookie jar but you know come on i'm your friend i'm the nice guy make you feel sorry for him right i feel your pain or whatever bill clinton would say right so he's like he smiles with such seeming sincerity how could he be a bad guy he he calls us comrades right he surely we're on the same team he wouldn't betray us would he I mean, he looks like such a likable person. He's so charming. He's so smooth. Like the Sade song. He's a smooth operator, right? So, such a person who's like, you know, smooth operator, right? Hey, he couldn't be a bad person, you know? And replace Squealer with Bill Clinton or Barack Obama 
or George W. Bush or whoever. Take your pick of, of, you know, people who lie and smile when they do it. And they seem like nice guys. That's the type of person you could have a beer with in the case of George W. Bush. Or in the case of Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, the person you could just sit and be mesmerized as they give this great speech with all this rhetorical flourish. Like Barack Obama, you know, in a 2004 DNC convention. And he talked about how, you know, we're really one America. We're not red states and blue states, you know. And it sounded good. But look at his administration. Look at his actions. Did he follow through on any of that? Did he, you know, bring people together? You know, he was kind of billed as the, you know, a post-racial president. But you could really argue that he kind of set race relations back by really inflaming tensions and, you know, highlighting identitarian political concerns, you know. I mean, he kind of said one thing and did another, right? And then he claimed to care all about, you know, social justice and poor people and black people and all that. And who did he bail out? The banks, the Wall Street guys, not the poor people, the rich people, right? He's like, but he sounds good. He sounds so sincere. He smiles. How could how could a person who smiles and is so sincere and seems so nice and friendly, how could they possibly be a bad person? How could they really be lying to you and just taking advantage of you? Surely, Barack Hussein Obama, Mr. Hope and Change, surely he's a nice guy. Surely he's on our side, right? Surely George W. Bush, he wouldn't just lie to us about Iraq and weapons of mass destruction. Surely, you know, he's such a nice guy. He's like, you know, he, he, he uses all these little colloquialisms. Like, he's a man of the people, right? He's one of us. I mean, yeah, he was born in the upper crust. You know, born on third base and thought he hit a triple or whatever it was that they said. Surely, you know, but he's he uses he's such down-to-earth homey language and he smiles and he, he seems so sincere. Surely he's not lying to us and just taking advantage of us, just, right? So you see how the other animals, when they're listening to Squealer talk, they're like, yeah, you know, it's something about this doesn't seem right, but he seems so nice and sincere. How could he be a bad guy? But aren't they kind of to blame for trusting all along every time the pigs tell them something and they just go along with it? They just say, well, you know, Squealer's so nice and he's so convincing with the way he smiles and the way he twitches his tail and, you know, does this and that. He just seems such a nice person. How could he be bad? So anyway, it's easy to blame the pigs for their obvious villainy, but... Are they really the worst animals on the farm? First of all, they couldn't do what they did if the other animals didn't go along with it. Second, yeah, the pigs are corrupt, greedy, dishonest. I mean, they're evil, right? But even if you don't share their perspective, you can kind of understand it. Like, it makes sense. They're just they're, they're pursuing their own self-interest. Trying to enhance their own press, power, prestige, and profit. Seems kind of reasonable from their own point of view. Now, their point of view is demented, sure. And... You know, they're morally bad, but you kind of understand it. Like they're, you know, I, I remember uh, hearing somebody talk once about uh, how they they could deal with smart assholes, but not stupid assholes. Like, it, it, and this, this was in the context of negotiations. This was like a professional, uh, like a mediator or whatever, where he's like, you know, getting parties to work together to agree to a resolution short of litigation short of suing each other right they're trying to work it out and he says you know basically you have a smart asshole well yeah they're going to be selfish they're going to be trying to you know get over on the other side but 
they're smart enough to kind of see like, all right, if I do this, it's going to harm both of us and it's going to undermine my own interest. They're smart enough to keep their own ultimate interests in mind and say, yeah, you know, maybe I should give up on this thing that's really not as important to me because I don't want to jeopardize what I really want out of this deal. Whereas stupid assholes are just unable to do that. Like they, they can't, they'll screw themselves over because of their emotional reaction and not be able to kind of disengage from it enough to see like, Hey, you know, this is a lose, lose situation here. And, uh, if I insist on getting this, because I think that, you know, I just want to get over on the other side, right? Like they're going to take me to court. I'm not probably going to get it in the end. And it's ultimately going to cost me more. Like they're not able to see that far ahead. Right. So in this sense, it's kind of like the pigs are like the smart assholes. But what about the other animals? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're dumbasses, literally. But, you know, without the other animals going along with it, the pigs wouldn't have been able to do it. So don't the other animals share some or even most of the blame? What about the dogs? So you have the dogs. Uh, they're the literal attack dogs of Napoleon's regime. They're the thugged out police force that don't really enforce crime. Or, you know, enforce criminal law, like, against malum and say type crimes. Like, they don't prevent, you know, robbery or murder or any of that. They're just there to inflict violence and terror on political dissidents to keep the other animals in line. And even the other pigs, right? Like, Napoleon will even use them against the other pigs to make sure nobody challenges his rule. So, they, they only care about uh, punishing thought crime, to borrow an Orwellian term from a different book, 1984. Um, dogs are smart. Maybe they're not as shrewd or smart as the pigs, but they seem like they have enough sense that they should know that they're being lied to and used. However, they just choose not to ask questions. They choose not to entertain any doubt about the existing socio-political order. They fully embrace that order and are probably the truest believers in the pigs' perverse political philosophy. So, you know, the pigs engage in double think, right? Because they kind of know on some level, like, yeah, we're lying. And this entire social order, the hierarchy atop which we sit is based on lies. And so we kind of acknowledge that they're lies, but we also pretend that they're not lies. Like we, we pretend and we pretend that we're not pretending. And they kind of know that's what they're doing. But the dogs, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't engage in double think because they just, they don't even allow themselves like they could see that it's lies, but they just don't even allow their minds to go there. They just, nope, I'm not going to tune that out. And just focus on what the official orthodoxy is. I'm not going to even entertain any questions that could lead. Like, and they're smart enough to do that. They're smart enough to ask questions and they're smart enough to see where those questions might lead if they were to be answered. But they just choose not to even ask the questions in the first place. Now, when we're talking about, you know, say, for example, the government's response to COVID, with the lockdowns and mandates that have been shown since to be based on bullshit. Politics, not science. Contrary to what Anthony Darth Fauci said, if you attack me, you're attacking the science. <laughs> like, no, you're attacking the politics. The political games and charades and all that. Like, none of that was based on science. You know, the, um, I mean, that's been shown pretty clearly. And, all, and then if it, if, if you still doubt, you know, which I'm sure those of you listening to this are, are not in this category of people who would still doubt after all that's come to light 
that the government kind of lied to us and was not on the up and up about the pandemic and the vaccines and the mandates and all that other stuff, then just ask, how was it that we went in the space of like one week from you can't attend a funeral or have a funeral for your mother because she died because the pandemic is so, you know, deadly. This virus will kill everybody. We can't have the virus spreading. So no funeral for your mom. But then George Floyd dies and they're like, oh, we can have a funeral for him. And if you want to go gather in close proximity with thousands of other protesters in urban centers and protest or riot, um, by all means, you know, go for it. It's not going to cause the virus to spread. It's not going to be a super spreader event. No, just go ahead. In fact, you should get out of your house. You should go protest. Join the protest because racism is a pandemic as well. And, you know, you're like, wait a minute. So the virus isn't that deadly? So the virus won't spread when you're around other people? So then why couldn't I have a funeral for my mom when she died, huh? Like that. And there was so many incidents like that throughout the pandemic. Anyway, you have people that won't ask the questions. They won't entertain it. They'll just shut it down, you know? Are they like the dogs? Are they uh, just not wanting to know? And then, of course, also the dogs. You could map onto them. Uh, that analogy, the uh, FBI, the Federal Bureau of Insurrection, the, you know, they can't answer basic questions under oath about how many of their agents were involved in, you know, breaking the law or inciting violence on January 6th, you know. But they're all over you if you go to protest at a, or voice your displeasure with, you know, your, at a school board meeting. Uh, local school board meeting, if you go talk about how, why are our kids being indoctrinated with critical race theory and transgenderism? Oh, you're marked down as a domestic insurgent, a terrorist or whatever. And the FBI will keep a record of you, but they can't keep a record of their own people. Like what crimes they commit to promote, um, this insurrection, you know, anyway, so the FBI, right? So you, you have, uh, they're basically like the dogs and Animal farm. They're willing to serve as hired guns for the highest bidder and willing not to ask any questions about the morality of their assigned missions. In other words, a militarized police force that exists not to protect the rights of citizens, but ensure their compliance with tyranny. How does a society guard against that? Well, the American founding fathers seem to have designed a system to withstand that phenomenon with well-crafted separation of powers and checks and balances to keep Political authority from being dangerously consolidated under a single person or faction. So if tyranny is like a flood, the constitutional safeguards are like levees and dams. Unfortunately, those levees and dams have not been maintained. Instead, for the past several decades, elected officials and their donor class have conspired to undermine those safeguards, which are now on the verge of collapse. So yeah, just this past week, of course, you have the... Uh, FBI raiding the house of a former president and likely political candidate for the office of president in 2024, i.e. the political opposition of the current president, Brandon, a.k.a. Joe Biden. So, yeah, using the and this is the same FBI, which uh, signed off on the Russiagate hoax for the entirety of Trump's term in office. And also the same FBI that provided, you know, these uh, officials or former officials who, you know, along with the CIA uh, and other intelligence agencies, 
maintained that the Hunter Biden laptop story was a hoax, Russian disinformation. So, yeah, how reliable are these people? You know, how reliable is the FBI? How much can you trust them? They've already violated your trust enough times. And now they're going after the former president and even Andrew Cuomo, who's, uh, you know, thoroughly on Team Blue, but maybe he got disillusioned a little bit, you know, when he saw how they turned on him. Because that's what happens, right? Like, just like Snowball learned with Napoleon, you make deals with demagogues. Eventually, you're not always on the, you know, the, 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 I guess you're not the, always one benefiting from that deal, right? You, you you sell your soul to the devil. Well, eventually the devil puts you in hell, you know, and or whatever, destroys you. I don't know. Like, that's kind of the, the thing. So anyway, Andrew Cuomo, maybe he's had a little bit of a change of heart since he got ousted from power by his own side. Um, not to say he didn't deserve it, but. You know, but he was the one that after uh, this raid on Trump, he was saying that you know, they need to come up with some, bit, uh, paraphrasing here, but he made this public statement that they need to come up with a, a real exceedingly persuasive justification for that raid. And it better be more than just, you know, random documents, you know, that they're supposedly looking for for the National Archives. Because otherwise it has the appearance of being a politically motivated raid, harassment of political opposition by weaponized law enforcement you know so that's coming from andrew cuomo who's definitely not a team red maga guy but yeah i mean that's basically like unless you're a true believer in the team blue narrative that's what it looks like you got this fbi that spent the entirety of trump's administration promoting this russiagate hoax which was thoroughly cooked up by hillary clinton and her campaign knowing it was a lie and then on top of that you know the fbi um has an office in um, the same, shares office space with the law firm for the Democratic National Committee. Like, that's kind of weird. The DNC has an office, they share office space with, or the law firm that represents the DNC shares office space with the FBI. Kind of weird there. You know, it seems like the FBI is not exactly nonpartisan, not exactly interested these days in, you know, prosecuting regular criminal laws like, you know, against murder, kidnapping, robbery, all that sort of stuff. They're more interested in targeting political opposition. So anyway, yeah, that uh, those constitutional safeguards have been hollowed out and undermined and now they're on the verge of collapse. So you got the dogs. Are they to blame in animal form? Is the FBI to blame for where we're at as a society? What about the sheep? Of all animals, the sheep are the easiest to despise. And that is probably why nobody would ever admit to being like the sheep. You know, you can imagine a power-hungry, dictatorial, you know, political operative, Machiavellian type might read Animal Farm and see, you know, some of the things Napoleon does and kind of laugh because they see themselves and they're like, yeah, these people are stupid. Like, you know, they're so they're psychopaths, right? And so they, they look at other at other people as just tools to be used and manipulated for their own ends and they kind of get off on that and so they look at the story and they like they see napoleon doing what he does and you know they may not say this openly because it you know they, they like to present the image of being good people even though they're not it's like the in uh, the plato's republic where socrates is presented with this thought experiment of uh 
you know, so the, somebody who's a very just person, but who has a reputation for being thoroughly unjust compared to a person who's thoroughly unjust, but has a reputation for being just, right? So this, that second one that, you know, the person who's thoroughly unjust, but has this reputation for being just a person who's thoroughly rotten and evil and manipulative and conniving, but is, but is charming enough and, and shrewd enough and dishonest and willing to go to great lengths to cultivate this image, you know, that people think of them as being a good person, like Bill Clinton's, you know, and, uh, and yet they're really evil. Right. So it's like somebody like that reading about the pigs and animal farm might think, yeah, that's kind of like me and laugh at it. Right. Somebody who's like in the FBI, you know, and just after raiding Trump, you know, Trump's home, Mar-a-Lago might read this and see themselves in the dog, you know, attacking snowball. Right. And they might think, yeah, that's pretty funny. Ha ha. You know, but nobody would ever read about the sheep and they, yeah, that sounds kind of like me. You know, no group thinking idiot school child, um, having been assigned to read animal farm for class would read about the sheep mindlessly bleeding stupid slogans at the behest of demagogues four legs, good, two legs, bad, you know, and then later on, four legs, bad, or four legs, good, two legs, better. Well, they change the slogan. They don't notice, you know, they wouldn't see that and think, oh, that's kind of like me. I do stuff like that. I take stupid slogans that contradict what I believed yesterday, and I just repeat them as if they make sense. And I never question how, you know, contradictory my beliefs are. I just, whatever the current thing is, right? Nobody ever does that. They think they arrived at their conclusions themselves. They didn't get them secondhand from the television or from their phone or from social media or whatever. So, yeah. NPCs or Hylix, as the uh, Gnostics called them, or organic portals, as Lauren Knight, uh, Jade Sick, I think that's how you pronounce her name, calls them. Anyway, they're, they're called different names, but they're basically people that aren't, well, the Gnostics thought that they didn't really have souls that they were just um soulless humans you know just material or you know you could say npcs whatever part of the simulation i don't know what they are but it's that that whole concept is kind of interesting because you do meet certain people they seem very one-dimensional they seem not to have a lot going on they just kind of parrot whatever beliefs they're given you know you see them they're the, they present as true believers in whatever the current thing is without ever noticing that today's current thing completely contradicts last year's current thing. Or that they themselves were just as passionate and questioning in their support of last year's current thing as they are about today's current thing. Right? So an NPC is not going to read Animal Farm, look at the sheep, and say, you know, yeah, that's just like me. Nobody identifies as a sheep. But there are certainly plenty of sheep out there. Now, are they... To blame, you know? I mean, Animal Farm. You know, it's basically a mirror. And you can look at it like, the, the people may read about this. And a lot of people may, because they're told the sheep are bad. You know, the teacher gives them that opinion to have. They think they, they came up with it. And they look at the sheep and, and they, the teachers told them the sheep are bad. And so they're like, yeah, the sheep are bad, you know? and they But it never occurs to them that they're the sheep, that animal form is a mirror and that the object of their scorn is actually their own reflection staring sheepishly back at them right like nobody thinks that way they're they're contemptible wretches 
They're the useful idiots who loudly and wholeheartedly support the evil regime. They mindlessly repeat its empty slogans. They confuse the public discourse by insistently making their voices heard despite having nothing original or insightful to say. Their stupid shouting accomplishes nothing except to drown out the voices of anybody who might ask questions a ruling class doesn't like. Think about all the people that wanted Alex Jones canceled or that want, you know, take your pick of the person who they want canceled. I'm asking too many questions. You know, two legs or four legs good, two legs bad. You know, it's, it's no different than like uh, Obama, good. Alex Jones, bad. You know, they're just Trump, bad or whatever. I don't know. I mean, yeah, anyway, um, they, they're, of course, encouraged by the regime. Their voices are amplified. Why? Because they just bring confusion. And that's good for the ruling class. They don't want people to really kind of get a clear picture of what's going on. So whenever the public de debate is just on the verge of tipping towards anything really useful, the sheep start bleeding. On cue, absurd aphorisms in support of the current thing. And the current thing is a popularized by uh, Mark Andreessen who has some funny stuff that he, he says about it. Um, the article that this is the audio version of um, has some links to some stuff Mark Andreessen says, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, you know, what's the best response to the phenomenon of the NPCs, the sheep? Um, they're flawed creatures. So, you know, it doesn't seem like they, they really can help it, though. And that's the thing. It's like you can't reason with the, the sheep in the story or apparently in real life. I mean, there's some people that get taken in by the, the bad information. And I, I'll say this with, when Trump came along and maybe this is self-serving on my part, because initially I didn't like Trump. Um, but you know, he wasn't, it wasn't hard to not like him. Like he was kind of this unserious tabloidish caricature, you know, of a person before that right like uh, i knew him before he got into politics i basically knew him from national Enquirer articles you know tabloid articles about his you know whatever go his romantic dalliances and things like that like, he just didn't seem like a serious person and then he had that tv show the apprentice which i didn't watch but of course you know you've seen the, the commercial or saw back in the day the commercials for or clips from and he's like he's always telling people they're fired and you know, just thinking like didn't seem like a serious person. So it was easy to kind of believe like he's, he's not the most savory person. Then you get the audio of him talking about like, you know, women, uh, you, you just grab them by the pussy. You can, you know, even, even talking about some woman who was married, you know, and how he would move on her like a bitch. And just thinking like, oh, this isn't exactly like, like, he seems like a lot like Bill Clinton uh, to me at the time. Right. And maybe he is. I, I at this point, I don't know because, you know, during his the first part of his administration, yeah, I, I knew that media outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Atlantic had an agenda, right? Like their editorials would slant one way versus the other. But I didn't think they would just make stuff up or report on obviously false, air quotes, facts, right? But yet, that's what happened. And you see that with Russiagate. You see that with COVID. You see that with BLM. You see that, oh, wait a minute. It's not just that they editorialize and they kind of interpret or spin the facts one way or the other. It's that they just make up facts to fit their narrative. Or 
They just suppress the facts that they don't like. You know, they invent the ones that they need to make their narrative work. They're not reliable sources of information. You know, so at some point, I got red-pilled during that whole thing. I mean, I'd already kind of been, like, I knew, well, I'll have to talk about this another time so that it doesn't get too far afield from what this article is about. Um, But I think there there are people who... Because a lot of people went along with, say, for example, 9-11 justifying going to war in Iraq, right? Well, Saddam's tied to Al-Qaeda somehow. He's pursuing weapons of mass destruction. We can't let him get these weapons of mass destruction because then Al-Qaeda could use them to attack us and blah, blah, blah. People fell for that, right? Including people who I don't think are sheep who just going on bad information draw what seem to be logical conclusions, Right? But at some point, when there's enough glitches in the matrix, so to speak, enough times where you see, like, for example, what I just said about uh, earlier about, you know, during the pandemic, one day, don't have a funeral for your loved ones because the virus is so deadly and so dangerous that it'll spread and kill a bunch of people. So you can't do that for, you know, so do not have a funeral. In fact, New York, you know, Mayor de Blasio Wilhelm, you know, whatever. Um, he says that he's going to send the NYPD to attack people who are having funerals for their loved ones. But then when George Floyd gets murdered, well, by all means, go out and protest. His own daughter joined in the protest, apparently, and got arrested, you know, and of course, immediately released because, you know, we don't hold people for rioting. That's not what the police are for. They're not there to, you know, to stop people from rioting. They're just there to stop people from violating the science and having a funeral for their loved ones. If they're Orthodox Jews, that actually happened. But, uh, but yeah, no, you see the whipsaw, like the whiplash or whatever. The uh, One day the virus is so deadly you can't have a funeral. The next day the virus is not so deadly. And in fact, you should go out and protest and gather in close proximity and all that, right? So there's kind of like this... All right, obviously, enough. that happens enough times. If you don't notice that and say, wait a minute, okay, these people are lying, then maybe you're a sheep. I don't know. There's kind of like a, I'm not sure. Some people, maybe people are, it seems like at some point you make a choice. You're either going to double down on what you already believe, confirmation bias, or you're going to ask the questions and say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. They told me two plus two equals four yesterday. Today they're telling me two plus two equals five. They can't both be true somebody's lying what's going on you know and maybe the people that just double down on that they're just the sheep they be maybe you become sheep maybe you're congenitally a sheep to begin with i'm not sure but in the story the sheep don't seem to be able to help their condition they they don't seem to have any more choice about their role in society than a brick would have about its role in the construction of a wall they just don't seem capable of transcending their sheepish nature so can you blame them i mean they're contemptible creatures but can you blame them they just seem to be kind of doing what they're capable of doing you know following their own nature so anyway maybe the best response to the phenomenon of npc sheep would be for society to erect safeguards to mob rule similar to wait for it the drafters of the u.s constitution what the founders intended right sheep they're like inert matter you don't change the course of a river by arguing with the water about how reasonable it would be to flow one way instead of the other you have to channel 
the waters flow with things like dams and levees. So, you know, I don't know how to reconcile a commitment to freedom and self-government governance with the stubborn reality that a large number of people are just unable or flat out unwilling to take responsibility for themselves and their freedoms, that such responsibility is a necessary condition of liberty and that such people who won't take or can't take responsibility um, are therefore incapable of self-governance. I mean, there's, that's kind of true, but what do you do? How do you promote freedom and yet acknowledge that the mob is mostly irrational and, you know, how do you prevent mob rule? Well, America's founding fathers designed a pretty good system to do that with bulwarks against mob rule, checks and balances and constitutional safeguards. But those have been undermined, you know, often by self-proclaimed progressives in the name of expanding, quote, democracy, by uncoupling freedom from responsibility, right? That's how they've expanded democracy, by, you know, uncoupling freedom from responsibility, and that's end up leaving us less free and more prone to tyranny than ever before in America. So anyway, are the sheep to blame? I don't know. It seems like they just kind of are what they are, and maybe like the founders... Uh, vision with the constitution um the safeguards against mob rule maybe that's the best we can do um then there's benjamin the donkey now is he to blame and he kind of stands out like a sore thumb in the story he keeps his own counsel he's one of the few animals aside from the pigs that is able to read but when he's asked his opinion on politics or society or the revolution he just gives these cryptic answers that you know you've never seen a dead donkey donkeys live a long time things like that you know so he doesn't really he, he just kind of responds to things with a cynical indifference he keeps his head down he does his work without complaining but he also doesn't volunteer for extra duties or display any enthusiasm for any of it he just lives by this assumption that life is pretty much always going to be the same no matter who's in power or no matter what political reforms are going to occur. That is, life is just always kind of going to be bad. It's going to be full of suffering, stupidity, and sin. So, you know, Benjamin the donkey, is he to blame? I don't know. I mean, he's just one guy in the story. And in real, and in the world, maybe you feel like Benjamin the donkey. You see the corruption. You see what's going on. And you're like, man, but I'm just one person. You know, the, the, we're up against a system where the psychopaths are at the top and they're so well-funded and you know, organized and all that, you know, and they buttress their position so well. And then under the psychopaths, you have all these NPC sheep and dogs that are willing to lie, cheat and steal to support the current thing, whatever that is, without noticing that today's current thing contradicts yesterday's current thing. You know, it just seems like if you're a, a rational person who's like, you know, I just want to be left alone. I, I want to leave everybody else alone. Like, I just want to, you know, everybody live their own life you know, without telling everybody else what to do. Kind of maybe more libertarian minded. It's easy to identify with Benjamin the donkey, but then you also see, well, what is Benjamin the donkey's non-involvement, cynical indifference? What does that lead to? It just leads to, by default, the pigs running the show with the dogs and the sheep you know, assisting them or enabling them, being their useful idiots. Maybe that's inevitable. Maybe if in the story, Benjamin the donkey had spoken up at some of the earlier meetings before Napoleon's, you know, tyrannical rule was too well established. Maybe then 
it would have changed things. Or maybe not. Maybe he would have just gotten on Napoleon's hit list and the dogs would have been sicked on him and he would have come to a violent end and that would have been that and nothing would have changed. So I don't know. You know, what do you do? Um, yeah, I was just saying, sometimes I've joked, but half seriously, that if reincarnation is real, you know, man, those of us who, at least I fancy myself a free thinker, those of us who are free thinkers uh, must have done something really terrible the last time around to be reborn into a society governed by psychopaths. You know, psychopaths are like 1% of the general population, but they're like 100% of the political class. And what allows the psychopaths to rule? All the NPC idiot voters who mindlessly embrace the stupid slogans of the psychopaths' political campaigns and governing ideologies, right? So it's like you have the pigs, the sheep, and the dog. You're Benjamin the donkey. You're like, golly, what did I do to be reborn in this world where all the animals are either pigs, sheep, or dog for the most part, and there's just like, there's no hope for rational self-rule, you know, it, it, in this this libertarian ideal and you know, live and let live it it just doesn't seem like it's possible because everybody's engaging in this group thing along these partisan lines and i don't know um it's like I, the another analogy is like it's and this is how i think of alex jones alex jones is like imagine being alex jones so he saw a lot of this stuff before anybody else really was before it was popular mainstream to see it. And thank God for Alex Jones. Like he's somebody that early on was easy to write off because, you know, you didn't have a lot of familiarity with him. All you would have to go on is what he was, what people said about him in the press, you know, which is like a straw man version of his position as, and then some of his more, uh, at least initially seem to be outlandish positions or claims taken out of context. And one of those outlandish claims being was like, oh, there's this, these rich people have these private islands where they engage in sex trafficking and sex with underage girls and sex slaves and blah, blah, blah. And there's these private islands and you're like, that sounds crazy. And then you find out about Jeffrey Epstein and uh, Jeffrey Epstein's ties to like Bill Clinton, Bill Gates and the like. And you're like, oh, well, maybe Alex Jones was right. And there's been enough of those times where Alex Jones has been right that he's basically like, here's what I would liken Alex Jones to. Alex Jones, imagine being on the Titanic and you get some, you hear the crew talking among themselves about the plans that the captain has to ram the ship into the iceberg, right? It's like, we're setting a chart for this ice field and we're going to ram the ship into an iceberg. You find that out and you try to tell people. And instead of like saying, what? seriously like we got to get to the bottom we got to make sure that this doesn't happen they're like oh shut up quit spreading misinformation put him somewhere where he can't be heard anymore because nobody needs to hear this misinformation and it's like you know that what you're saying it's like the guy in um you know if the psychopaths and using the plato's republic you know the the thought experiment where you have one person who's like thoroughly just but has a reputation for being unjust and then the other person is like thoroughly unjust but has a reputation for being just you know like the, if the psychopaths like bill clinton are thought well of even though they're these evil rotten people and then you, the people like alex jones who mean well are actually slandered and thought of as being these malicious you know um people right then that's got to be alex jones that's, he's almost kind of like the the socratic um, 
you know, figure of the person who's has this reputation for villainy, but is really a good person. So anyway, yeah, we're on the Titanic. Alex Jones has been warning us and they seem to be all these near misses with icebergs lately. And it's like, ah, you know, maybe they are trying to ram this ship into an iceberg. When you read about stuff like the World Economic Forum and the UN partnering to accelerate Agenda 2030, when you read about how they're trying to force um, farmers in the Netherlands, the second, the world's second top exporter of agricultural, you know, food supply for the world, you know, at a time when with the war in Ukraine, there's already the, and, and COVID, post COVID, there's already these uh, supply chain disruptions and disruptions to the food supply and all that and food shortages potentially looming. Now they're trying to force farmers off of the land and all and force the remaining farmers to get away from using, um, fertilizers that work you know and you know like and then they're trying to do that same thing in canada now and you're like there seems to be an agenda here and the the world economic forum and its leaders have announced you know their plans and it seems like they're following through on it and then but if you try to say anything about it you're accused of disinformation silence censored whatever right so if you're benjamin the donkey what do you do is he to blame for not saying more, for not doing more? And I don't know. And the question then I turn around on myself is like, what am, am I to blame? Like, what should I be doing? It seems, you know, like if you don't have a tribe and that's one of the problems if you're kind of a free thinker, you're not just following the partisan ideology of a particular tribe, you know, like uh, when you have this two-party system, how do you get anywhere? How do you, you know, answer a, a real question. You know, what power do we have? As the, you know, Vaclav Havel wrote in his essay, The Power of the Powerless, what power do we seemingly powerless people have? Well, there is something. Yeah, I did a post on that, the, you know, part one. Um, I'm going to do a series talking about that essay, actually, The Power of the Powerless, which is great. If you haven't read it, you should read it. Um, there's a lot in there. But yeah, you know, you got a society around us being hemmed in on every side by a well-organized and well-funded global cabal of psychopathic demagogues who seem to have decided that their plans involve the engineered collapse of the American project and the subjugation and death of the American people. And uh, we have to do something about it, but what? You know, that's the question. That's a sincere question. You know, what do we do? What is the way forward? What is the best um, response? You know? So anyway, who do you blame in Animal Farm and how do you respond? especially if you're Benjamin the donkey. All right, well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This is the A Ghost in the Machine podcast by Daniel D. It is uh, Sunday, August 14th, 2022. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to this podcast. If you're listening to it in one of the podcasting apps or platforms, you know, subscribe there. But also check it out on Substack. There should be a link in the show notes to the Substack article that I'm reading from, as well as the substack that you can subscribe to to get future episodes as well as future articles things like that and connect with me there um till next time y'all peace out have a great week or however long it is before we talk again bye